0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers podcast. In this message, Casey Ryan returns to teach on the theology of suffering and how the Lord uses it to mature the Christian. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Love you guys. Um, How many of you guys actually know who I am? Raise your hand. Cool. Awesome. I love all of you, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. There's some of you I love more than others. It's not a partiality thing. I just know some of you, and some of you I don't know, but I'm really glad to be here. Um, for those of you who guys uh, who, who may not know, I was the uh, gatekeeper pastor before Billy, uh, and uh, I was on sabbatical for about six months uh, and then came back kind of midway through my sabbatical to transition out, and so uh, though uh, Billy took over in April, I have really not been back with you guys uh, since November of last year. And you guys want to be ready for a spooky prophetic fact. On my way over here, I was driving. The last sermon that I preached was exactly a year ago today. Yeah, the last sermon I preached here. What does it mean? No idea. I'm not prophetic. Probably means nothing, but it's still kind of cool. Yeah? All right, so... um, I got asked very last minute to preach. Uh, Billy was like, hey bro, I gotta go. Will you preach for me? And I'm gonna be honest with you, my least favorite thing in the world to do is to talk without preparation because I am so prone to putting my foot in my mouth and saying something stupid and having people circulate it through their friend groups, you guys know what I'm talking about, that I like to prep ahead of time. I had no time to prep. So if I say something stupid, if I put my foot in my mouth, if I say something that's a little inappropriate, you're just going to have to give me grace, amen? amen? All right. And if it makes the rounds, somehow make the video make me look skinnier than I really am. That's all I ask. Crop out the moobs if you can do it, all right? There, there's my one silly thing for the day. All right. So Billy goes, hey, will you preach? Um, and I said, dude, I don't, I don't really have anything. I've been studying in times for like 11 days straight. And I'm compiling like 16, 20 pages so far uh, of notes on end times. That's all I've thought about and I don't have anything to bring to gatekeepers. And he's like, oh, dude, you should preach on end times. <clears throat> so guess what I'm gonna do? I am not gonna preach on end times. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just not, I'm not ready, I got, I'm just not ready. So here's what I am gonna do. I'm gonna preach on suffering because I like to talk about suffering. And if you live in the end of the age, it's gonna serve you well, ergo, it's kind of like an end time sermon, yeah? All right, so uh, what I wanna do today, I wanna give you guys, uh, I wanna present to you uh, a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering. So many of us, uh, you know, we, we grow up here in America. I realize not every one of us, but a lot of us grow up here in America. And we grow up in the Western world. And Christianity in the Western world is a super funny thing because we're, so, it's, we're the land of comfort, we're the land of pleasure, we're the land of freedom and liberty. And the Christian church, by and large, has a really hard time in America understanding the concept of suffering and it almost, it almost sometimes feels incompatible with a God who's like super kind and super loving and is like super graceful and wants to just be with you and it's intimacy and it's awesome all of the time and because of our culture and then because of the way that we kind of view Jesus as being like this really kind of hippie happy Jesus, right, we, we don't really have a grid for suffering and most of the time it's because we just haven't really had to go through a whole lot of suffering. Some of us have, absolutely. But a lot of us, if we were to take an honest look at ourselves, we don't really understand what it's like to suffer and to suffer long. And so, my goal today is to help you uh, and to remind myself how important it is to embrace suffering as a Christian. It's so important. let me um let me read this. The Bible clearly indicates that suffering, Is an essential element of our walk, and by it, our faith and our character are refined. The Bible clearly indicates that suffering is essential for our walk because by suffering, our faith and our character is refined. Suffering and sacrifice are necessary ingredients for the Christian walk. They're necessary ingredients for the Christian walk. And now let me help your paradigm for suffering just a little bit. You ready? God is not opposed to causing you temporary pain, discomfort, and suffering, perhaps even extreme suffering. He's not opposed to it if it means your faith will be refined and your character will be refined. And so many of us we like to think that suffering is the result of the devil Suffering is a result of sin. Suffering is bad and, and, and the devil is bad and Jesus is good and therefore Jesus doesn't cause us to suffer. And I will just tell you, I've been following Jesus for 15 years and dang it, he will cause you to suffer, but it's because he loves us. And if we don't understand God's uh, ordained suffering in our life, what will happen? And I, guys, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen so often. What will happen is we can have amazing moments in the altar. We can have amazing moments in worship where we are flopping around like a fish and screaming in tongues and things are awesome and we have amazing devotional lives and we're waking up at five o'clock in the morning and we're reading our Bible like the superstar Christian. But because we don't have a proper theology of suffering, when pain comes and when God sends people or, or hardship into your life and it causes suffering. I have watched people who all do. they flail around, they wake up, they have incredible devotion lives, but they abandon Jesus. And I will just tell you, most of the time people abandon Jesus because Jesus starts doing things that are outside of their theology. And so it's really important that we get this because we want to be Christians who run the race and run the, way, the race to win. Amen? Like, we actually, we want to finish this thing. I want to be 80 and 90 years old, loving Jesus with my whole heart, knowing that I didn't abandon him in the hour of trial. And that's where you guys need to be. That's where I need to be. But if we don't talk about suffering, we're not going to get it. So here's the big, here's the big idea. Here's my introduction. You need to understand, God is, he loves you and he's committed to you and therefore he's going to cause you to suffer. He is going to cause you to suffer. I did not say he's going to allow suffering in your life. He's going to cause you to suffer a little bit. Let me prove it to you. I love the Bible. You guys love the Bible? Some of you guys who don't know me, we're getting ready to read so much Bible, and I apologize, but this literally may be more Bible than you've ever read in your life. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gonna so clearly prove to you what I just said is true I'm gonna tell you what Peter says about suffering. I'm gonna tell you what Paul says about suffering. I'm gonna tell you what uh, James says about suffering. And then I'm gonna tell you what Jesus says about suffering. Just so you can see how clear this topic is in the Bible. How many of you guys, uh, you believe in speaking in tongues? Yeah, awesome. Okay, some of you guys did not raise your hand. You are way in the wrong place. I apologize. You believe in speaking in tongues. We got like two verses on it, maybe three. Right? I'm about to read you like, Two dozen verses on suffering. So this is something that you can truly anchor yourself to. What does Peter say about suffering? Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the day of his revelation and his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. It's a good verse, right? How about this? Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God, according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful uh, creator in doing what is right. That's First Peter 4 as well. He would go on to say this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How many of you guys want to cease from sin? Suffer in the flesh, baby. (laughs) But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, Peter would go on to say, you are blessed. He would go on to say this, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. All right, what does Jesus say about suffering? He would use the parable of the sower. He would say, You know, you know the parable of the sower, right? The, the farmer goes out, he's got the seed, he's thrown it on all different kinds of ground, right? And then there's the, the rocky ground, and there's the thorny ground, and there's the good soil. He would interpret this like so. He goes, The one on whom the seed was sown by the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Stop right there. How many of you have immediately received it with joy? That's all of us. It took a little, a little bit of time for most of you, but if you're here, it's because you love Jesus and you're like, I love the word. He says, you, that, that person immediately received it with joy, yet he had no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Uh, this is what he has to say, this is Jesus, what he has to say about John the Baptist. Sitting in jail, he's getting ready to lose his life and be beheaded for Jesus Jesus' response when he asks him, are you the Messiah? He responds by saying, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Can you imagine you're questioning everything you've built your life on? You're getting ready to lose your head. You're sitting in jail. You're all alone. And you just wanna know, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And he answers back, don't get offended with me. I know things are tough. Don't get offended with me. I know this isn't how your life, you thought your life was gonna work out, John. John but don't get offended with me. It's pretty powerful. Let's move on to, uh, I like, this is Jesus' uh, call to Paul's ministry. You guys know who Paul is in the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Anybody anybody here feel called to ministry? Just curious, raise your hand. Great. You know that moment when you kind of felt called to ministry and it was like really holy and right? Maybe it was at like a kid's camp or something and you were like, man, I just, yeah, I just, it just feels right. This was Jesus' call when he was, Paul. Or when he oh, wow. This is Jesus's call to Paul into ministry. I don't know how else to say that. This is what he says. But the Lord said to him, "'Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine,' speaking of Paul, "'to bear my name before the Gentiles "'and the kings and the sons of Israel, "'for I will show him, Paul, "'how much he must suffer for my namesake.'" How's that for a call to ministry, man? Imagine you're sitting there at youth camp, and they're like, "'Who feels called to be a pastor?' You're just gonna suffer. That's your lot in life. Suffering, pain, and death. How many of us would be like, yeah, baby, sign me up? That's not what I signed up for, but that's how Paul was called into ministry. Um, uh, How about this? This is Jesus again. He goes, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose his life, but whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake will find it. Glory to God. How about Paul? What does Paul say? He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He literally goes, Jesus suffered, and now for your sake, I'm going to suffer because he didn't suffer enough. There was something lacking in his suffering. Isn't that shocking? He'd also say this, this is uh, his his kind of vision statement. He's kind of summing up his life as uh, a pastor, apostle, missionary, whatever the heck he was, evangelist. He was like all of the things. This is what he said. He goes, but in everything we've commended ourselves as servants of God and much endurance and inflictions and in hardships and in distresses and in beatings and in imprisonments and in tumults and in labors and in sleeplessness and in hunger and in purity and in knowledge and in patience and in kindness and in the Holy Spirit and in genuine love and in the word of truth and in the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and by the left hand for glory and for being dishonored by evil report and good report, Regarded as deceivers, yet being true, as unknown, yet being well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. You guys ever read anybody in the Bible and you're like, "I I want to be like them? I used to do that with Paul. I'd read Paul's letters and I'm like, oh my God, this guy like, He gets it. I want to to be used in the kingdom to such a high degree. I want to be like Paul. And then I came across that passage and I'm like, oh, I don't don't know if I'm cut out to be like Paul. Sleeplessness, hunger and beatings and imprisonments. I'm like, "I, I don't know if I can do that. Sobering, right? And then he would go on to say this in Philippians. Paul would say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship in his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I realize it's a lot of Bible, but guess what? We're not done, and I like the Bible, so we're going to keep reading it. What does James say about suffering? He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's amazing. Can you see that I'm not making up this concept that God's totally okay and will cause your suffering sometimes? You guys with me? Okay, cool. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you four types of God-ordained suffering. Okay, so you're gonna see these in your life. You've probably already seen these in your life i give you four types of God-ordained suffering. Now, I will say this. Not all suffering is God-ordained. Sometimes suffering is a result of the enemy. Sometimes suffering really is a result of someone else's sin. Somebody sins against you. Somebody hurts you. Somebody manipulates you. Somebody abuses you. That's not the Lord. But rest, rest assured, he will still use it for your good and for his glory. That's Romans 8. I work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's what God says. So even the sin that you do and the sin that's done against you that causes immense pain, trial, and suffering, God says, I'm still gonna work that for your good and for my glory, amen? All right, so that's not all suffering is God-ordained, but I wanna give you four types of God-ordained suffering so that when these start hitting your life, you're like, okay, this is the Lord, and, and And I want to I'm going to partner with him and make sure this thing has its perfect result. Here's the first one. This is super easy. You ready? God ordains suffering, testing. 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 This is sent from God to reveal something about you to you. God will often give you a test that requires extreme amounts of suffering sometimes or small amounts of suffering. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to reveal something about you that you don't even know is in there. Now, God knows everything, right? So he's not, he's not like, oh, I wonder if he's gonna pass or fail this test. He needs you to know if you're gonna pass or fail the test. This is James one, he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He will often test his children in order to show them what is inside. And I would just say this, You never really know what is truly in you until you're feeling the pressure from all sides. You think you're holy. Maybe you're just comfortable. You think that you've got a handle on your sin, whatever that thing is, but really you could just be bored. And when things start going south, That's when you find out what you're really made of. And God is so gracious because he will purposefully pull the rug out from under us just so that we can learn what's actually on the inside so that we're prepared for the hour of trial that's gonna hit the earth. Amen? All right, that's testing. He tests you. What's the next type of God-ordained suffering? How about this? Trials. Trials are a little different than testings. Testings are sent to reveal something in you. Well, trials are meant to produce something in you. James 1 and 2, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, and once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. These are meant to produce something in us or instill something in us. Often, these are character traits such as endurance and steadfastness, love, love, He will send, I'm telling you guys, he will send the most unlovable, most annoying, most bothersome person into your life simply so that you can see your lack of love and to give you an opportunity to grow in love. Amen? Yeah, some of you guys are literally sitting next to that person right now, and you've never wanted to tell them that. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a thorn in my flesh. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Just kidding. Testings, trials, Third piece of God ordained suffering. Here we go. I love this one so much because I'm, I, I've just I've had this one happen a lot to me. Quite honestly, discipline, testing. I love you guys. Testing sent from God to reveal something about you to you. Trial sent from God to produce something in you. Discipline is sent from God to remove something from you. You guys know Hebrews twelve. Many of the people who know me know that I don't shut up about Hebrews. I like that book. It says this He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God loves you, He loves me. And because He loves us, He disciplines us. I love my kids. I I discipline my kids, not because they bother me or annoy me. I discipline my kids because I want them to develop character traits that will serve them, serve their relationship with Jesus, and serve the kingdom of God. I discipline them because I adore them. And here's the thing, guys. Hebrews 12, go and read it on your own time. He actually says that discipline is a mark of sonship. And that only the son, or that that only those who, uh, that the the people who don't have discipline, the people who have not been disciplined by the father, are the ones whom the father doesn't love. It's nuts, dude. Go read Hebrews twelve. So we look at discipline so often, like God's angry with us, right? He's coming with the belt, man. He's we've we've pissed him off. He's like our earthly dad, whatever. You guys have heard the spiel. You've been around You've been around churches for a long time. We all say that, but here's the thing, guys. He disciplines us because he's committed to us. And Hebrews 12 says, because he's committed to producing the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. And now I will just tell you right now, the discipline of the Lord sucks. Says it right there. Says not to be, it's not joyful. and the moment, it feels sorrowful. You guys ever gotten so convicted over your own sin and you just couldn't get over it? That's Holy. That's really good. You ever been put in a position where you sinned and you messed up and God exposed it and it it brought you tremendous pain and suffering, perhaps humiliated you to a degree? Can I just tell you something? If you respond rightly to that, a billion years from now, you will be so glad God exposed it. When you are sitting in eternity, hanging out with Jesus on the sea of glass, when all things are right and good and pure, and there's joy unspeakable and full of glory, and this is billions of years from today, you will be sitting there going, I am so glad God disciplined me because it produced the peaceable fruit of righteousness that I'm feasting off of even today. You guys trekking with me? He disciplines those whom he loves, is what it says. Discipline sucks but he's going to spank you from time to time. It's because he loves you. Number four, testings. They're sent from God to reveal something about you to you. Trials sent to produce something in you. Discipline sent to remove something from you. And then the next one is breaking. God will break you. Breaking is sent from God to break off old habits and tendencies and faulty ways of thinking in order to bring you to full maturity. And often in the scripture, he will do this in the form of a desert. Anytime you see something take place in the wilderness or in the desert, you need to take note because what God's doing is he's breaking that biblical character of bad ways of thinking, bad ways of living, bad ways of feeling. He's trying to shape and mold them into the man or woman of God that they need to be. And so here's the deal. He'll take Jesus himself, says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm gonna say that again, that's the Bible. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it wasn't just Jesus that he led to a place like that. You can look at King David where he leads him into the caves of Abdullam. You can, you can look at Elijah where he leads him to the dry brook. You can look at Paul where he leads him to Arabia for three years. It's so clear in the scripture. How about Moses? Leads him to a desert where he's gonna live from the time he's 40 to 80, only to go back and get God's people at 80 to bring them back into the dang desert where he would die after 40 years. The first 40 years we're training Moses to lead people into the desert season. It's crazy. He wants to break you. He loves you because, and he wants to break you. Why? Because your old self really sucks and it's gonna kill you if you don't kill it. That's good preaching. God bless you, lady. I love you. That's good preaching, man. All right. Testings, trials, discipline, and breaking. God will do all of those things because he loves you because he's dedicated to you, because he's committed to you, and he wants to ensure that your eternity is better than you could ever imagine. Amen, all right. Now, it's not just about ensuring that your eternity is better than you could have ever imagined. There's a funny thing about suffering, and some of you guys perhaps have learned it based on your own, uh, your own life, Suffering, shared suffering, always produces intimacy. Not just suffering, shared suffering. If you do it right, you do it well, it produces intimacy. I've got dear friends who served in the military and they went to war together. And they will tell you, it doesn't matter what your cultural background is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't even matter what your religion is. When you are being shot at by a common enemy, and you are enduring boot camp together, there is a bond that hits you for life. Why? Shared suffering. Some of you guys, uh, anyone actually in here married? Anybody at all? Thank you, brother. So glad some of you guys are actually married. Gus. Gus. Okay, so two of you in the room are really gonna understand this. The rest of you, file it away. <laughs> Marriage is not always easy. I know, I just said it. It's not always easy. Now, it's much easier when you're my wife and you're married to somebody as awesome as me. However, I will just tell you this. My wife and I, we had about uh, we had several years early on that were really good. They were kind of hard for her, but generally it was like really good. I I just say, some of you know our story, it was kind of hard for her, but as a whole, it was good, we didn't fight, we were happy, I mean, it was, everything was jiving, you know what I mean, and then we had our second kid, dude, and things got like really flipping hard, she turned into a monster, okay, and I, in turn, turned into a bigger monster, Her hormones are all out of whack. She's on birth control because the last thing we want is another kid and she's like dealing with all the postpartum stuff. I always call it postmortem, right? But it's like postpartum, right? (laughs) The two people in the room who have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? It gets really hard. And man, we had to choose to be committed to each other in that season. We had to choose to fight for our marriage. We had to choose to fight for each other, to believe the best for each other. And I will tell you this, I promise to God, this is our testimony, once we got through that season, our marriage was so, much, it was so much better and so much stronger and our intimacy was so much greater because we shared suffering together. It's not, I promise you, it is not the high points in your relationships that bond you. It's going through the low points together. Same can be said for all of your relationships. The Christian's paradigm for suffering is so important, guys. It's not just about disciplining you and breaking you and sending you testings and sending you trials. All of it is about ultimately bringing you into intimacy with him. And I get intimacy is like a super weird word. And if I, when I used to hear intimacy as a dude, I'm like, I don't get that, that's super weird. Think exclusivity and closeness. That's all intimacy is. It's exclusive and we're super close. And you get that way when you go through suffering together. And so Jesus will invite you into suffering in order to be close with you. It's a really amazing thing. Look what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, this is before he was Jesus, before he was a Christian, sorry. Whatever things before he was Jesus were not that, that would be super heretical. And you guys just laughed, man. Like Y'all should have been stoning me for that. Paul is not Jesus, okay? But this is before he knew Jesus, he was under the law, right? And he says this, he goes, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. For more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus the righteous, which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now get this, this is what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He said, everything that I suffered, everything that I suffered, was worth it because I got to fellowship with Jesus' sufferings, and the result was that I may know Christ. Guys, I'm just gonna tell you, you don't get to know Jesus until you've suffered for Jesus and until you've suffered with Jesus. You may think you know him. You may think you have a great relationship, but that is a massive aspect of who he is that we are severely missing if we think he's just happy hippie Jesus all the time and everything's great and peaceful and good and joyful. Amen? All right. He is happy, by the way. Okay, let me just be like super clear. But he's happy in the midst of suffering. Okay. Paul viewed suffering as an invitation to intimacy. For him, it gave him greater revelation of God's love and dedication to us. And he viewed suffering as something to go through with God, not just for God. Suffering for the Christian is essential to know God and to grow to full maturity. So here we go. It is 930. How long have I been preaching? When did we get up here? Nine. All right, I have five areas that we must embrace suffering as Christians. They're like non-negotiables. We're gonna get through as many of them as we can in the next 15 minutes, cool? I wanna go home, y'all too late for me. Number one, five areas. You guys, you guys are with me, right? You guys, you guys can trek with me. We just packed a lot of Bible into 30 minutes, okay. Amen, you guys love the Bible, right? Yeah. All right. You don't love the Book of Mormon, right? No. (laughs) Trick question. Just kidding. Five areas where we must embrace suffering. Number one, glory to God, suffering and your striving against sin. Here we go. More Bible. This is Hebrews 12. Remember I told you to read Hebrews 12? Some of you guys are never going to read it after this. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Here's the exhortation. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I love that passage. There's this, um, there's this worship song that he was making its way around um, the charismatic camp for a while, uh, and I, kn- I didn't really like it. I-, I knew what they were trying to say, but I just didn't like it. And the song was like, there is no striving. You know what I'm talking about? You know, It's like a Bethel song. No shade on Bethel. It's just a song, right? Well, I know what they're saying. They're like, there's no striving for salvation and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing, guys. There is striving. And I've got like five verses that are like, hey, you need to strive. (laughs) And so don't don't misconstrue this concept of there's no striving in Jesus. You're actually empowered specifically to strive against sin. And here's the idea. He says, you have not resisted yet to to the point of shedding of blood in your striving against sin. And the concept that he's trying to get at is if you want to stop sinning, it's going to cause you to suffer because your natural body wants to sin. And if you don't want to sin, you've got to deny your natural body of the thing of which it is craving. And you can only do that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but glory to God, you can do that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because if you keep doing the things that your body craves, it results in death. And so he goes, I'll give you the antidote, but I'm not gonna do it all for you though. He goes, you've gotta resist. You've gotta strive. Jesus would say it like this, if your right hand causes you to stumble, what does he say? Cut it off. off. And and then we like to like overly spiritualize that. We do. We like to make that sound like it's no. Here's what he's saying. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. How do I know that's what he says? Because he says it's better for you to get into the kingdom of heaven with one hand than it is for you to burn in eternity for two hands. Go read it. I paraphrased it, but I promise you that's what he says. It's really intense. Jesus doesn't take sin lightly and we shouldn't take sin lightly. And here's the deal, all of us, man, we're so guilty, myself included. So I'm not just throwing shade on you. We're just Christians. This is how we roll. We we get saved and some of the sin falls off right away, and that's really good. But then there's like those five or six things that still get at us and they eat at us. And what do we do? We come to the altar in a great moment of worship and we cry out. We're like, God, take it from me. God, help me. God, deliver me. Why won't you deliver me? And he doesn't deliver you because he's trying to teach you to strive in your shedding of blood against sin. He's like, I've already delivered you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. Dude, you got to do a little something. And so guys, when you're at the computer, ladies, this applies to you too. When you're at the computer or your phone late at night and there's no one around and your body's telling you to do something stupid, that means you have to suffer in the moment and say, I will not do that which my body tells me to do because I am not a slave to my sin, Romans 6 says. But I will beat my body into obedience. That's what Paul said that's intense. Can I give you another Bible verse? This is a really good one. You guys are great, man. This is 1 Peter 4. He says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And guys, God's not always going to just deliver you and take it away. He's not gonna do the heavy lifting all the time because he's committed to you and he's committed to how your eternity looks and he really wants you to earn some rewards. He really wants you to earn intimacy with him. He really wants you to grow up and put on big boy pants and not do what your body tells you to do. It's good. It's holy. It's right. It's going to take times of gritting your teeth and bearing it. It's going to take spiritual violence to not say the thing that you wanna say that's sinful. Gonna take momentary suffering to say no in order to gain eternal rewards, but guys, you can do it. And every time you 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 zip it and you're like, I want to say the thing. Maybe it's not the F word. Maybe it's I just want to gossip about somebody. Whatever. That's just as bad. And you don't say it. God's like, that's amazing. You're gonna be so glad you did that, man. I know you don't get it now, but in 80 years, you're gonna get it. And we gotta have our eyes set on that day. Suffering and our striving against sin. Well, here's the next area that we must embrace suffering as a Christian. It's a non-negotiable. Suffering as a servant. This is Matthew 20. This is Jesus and his whole model of leadership. This is stunning. He goes, you know that rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You imagine like Jesus looking at you, the Lord over everything, the one who has all authority and saying, "I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve." Guys, we're all called to go as low as possible, as long as possible, and to live lives of servitude. Here's the deal, not of the Lord and not to the Lord, but to each other. We're sons and daughters We're not servants of God. Now, Paul would use that language off and on, but here's the idea. You get to serve with God, but you serve other people. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He goes, I'm about my father's business, but I'm really serving with the father. What I hear the father say, I say. What I see the father do, I do. So there's a partnership, and Jesus is serving with the father. But for people, it's not always a partnership. You're just gonna go low, and you're just gonna serve people. And guys, to serve is to suffer. And I would go as far to say we're probably not serving if it doesn't hurt a little bit. I lost my complete train of thought. Where am I at? Serving requires suffering. It means doing something you don't want to do for someone you may not want to do it for. I'll say that again, man, because that's, It's instructional for me. Doing something you don't want to do for someone you may not want to do it for. Isn't that amazing? That's that's serving. And guys, that sucks. That's hard. You You guys ever have that guy or the girl in your church who just literally bothers the flipping fire out of you? They're not even sinning. They're just being. And you're like, I don't like them. I don't know why I don't like them. It's really hard to like them. They said something to me that I took one way and it's just really hard to like them. Am I, I'm not the only one, right? Can you guys just raise your hand? Okay, you all are terrible Christians. (laughs) Cannot believe that you would possibly think that way about a fellow believer. Here's what I have found. If you wanna, if you're struggling to love somebody, go serve them. And I don't just mean like once. I don't mean like just hold the door open for them. That's probably a step. But I'm like, like actually go serve them. Like, like get a vision for, for, for God in their life and what God wants to do through them. Paul would say, or yeah, Paul, he would say, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And so start to look at them like they're more important than you. And then you wanna go, okay, I wanna serve the purposes of God in their life. I see the dream of God over this person. I've caught it in prayer, I've I've found it in the scripture, I know what God, God has great things in store for them and I'm going to go low and not just open the door for them when I see them at church, but I'm actually going to serve the purposes of God in their life and I promise you guys, you start to do that, you can't help but start to love that person. If you are struggling to love someone, go serve them, go pray for them, go serve God's purposes for them, believe in them. That's how we're called to live. Guys, that's how Jesus lived. That's how he lived with his 12. That's how his 12 lived with their disciples. And that's what you and I are called to do, but it is not fun. Jesus is called the suffering servant in Isaiah for a reason. Because to serve is to suffer. Amen? Okay. What's the next one? That is not it. Found it. Here's the third one. Oh, this one's so good. So we suffer, we suffer in our striving against sin. We suffer as a servant, and then we suffer through persecution. The uh, parable of the sower, I'm going to read it again uh, because it's just, it's so potent. Jesus says, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in, him, in himself, but he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now here's the thing about persecution. Most of you, myself included, we don't have a clue what persecution looks like. There are a few of you who perhaps might, but you didn't get that way from living in America. We don't really know persecution, right? We know like super subtle prejudice at best. You're a Christian, Mm. you don't want to go to the bar with me? Mm. Like that's about it. Maybe you'll lose the job, maybe you won't get the job. But that's really what we're talking about when we talk about persecution in America. There are people across the earth that are being legitimately persecuted, tortured, killed, martyred, all of it, beheaded simply because they love Jesus and they refuse to stop doing Bible studies. That's persecution right? Now, here's the thing. That's not me throwing shade on you. That's not me throwing shade on us. We can't help where we live. I mean, we probably could, but God put us here for a reason, okay? I have always said I'm a missionary to Laodicea. I'm supposed to be in America, okay? I like, I, like, I like it here, but I want to just set your mind on something a little different. When you and I typically think of persecution as Americans, that's what we think about. We think about either, A, I didn't get the job because I wore the Jesus t-shirt, Right? or somebody looked at me funny when I tried to evangelize at the mall. That's not, a, that's not persecution. Or we go to the other extreme, and we go, oh, okay, well, we, the, there are Christians who are losing their heads in China, and they're going to prison for life, and their families are being torn apart. And we go, that's persecution. Now, get this, that is persecution. The other one is not really persecution, but that, that other one is. But the Bible gives us a whole other form of persecution that most Christians are completely unaware of. And it's not persecution, From out there, it's persecution from within. It's persecution from the church. And the Bible says at the end of the age, the persecution for the church is primarily coming from the professing church. That there will be, uh, men will be lovers of self and lovers of money and haters of good, but they're gonna hold to a form of godliness. Godliness. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And then Jesus would show up in Matthew 24 and he would say this, you ready? God, Lord, help me. Do I have it on here? I do have it on. I don't have it on here. This is what he said. It's in Matthew 24. Just go read it. Matthew 24. He says, you will be persecuted and hated by all for my namesake. And the people who he's talking about are the Pharisees. He goes, there's a coming a day, this is actually what he says, where they will kill you thinking they're doing service to God. Let me tell you who doesn't kill us thinking they're doing service to God, the atheists, the agnostics, the secular professors. The people who kill us thinking they're doing it for the Lord are professing believers. They're Paul before he was Paul. You Remember Paul? He was Saul. I know it's confusing. Paul and Saul, not King Saul in the Old Testament, different Saul. He thought he was doing God's will by going around and killing all of the Christians who were saying that Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish faith. That's a small picture of where this is going, guys, and we're already seeing it. We are seeing massive persecution that in America that is not coming from out there. It is coming from in here. Entire denominations, theological movements that are abandoning the inerrancy of Scripture, who who are saying that what God says is right is anybody can marry anybody of any gender of anything. They're twisting Scripture, not just on that issue, on lots of issues. We got entire movements and entire megachurches who are saying, yeah, the Old Testament, that's that's not even the word of God anymore. It's all about the New Testament. We're New Testament believers, and anybody who, who tells their churches to go read the Old Testament, those guys are heretics. And well, guess what? They get on their platforms, and they start shouting, and then I'm telling you guys, the persecution that is going to come is going to be in the church, and that's the thing everybody is wildly unprepared for because what happens when you have a PhD professor of theology who gets up here and he starts telling you why your theological uh, preference or your theological opinion is wrong, and he gives you five Bible verses to prove it. It's crazy, dude. The end of the age, it says that the abomination of desolation, which we're not going to talk about, the end of, just think, the great tribulation when things get really bad won't come until the great falling away happens first. And the Bible paints this picture at the end of the age that the church is thriving because they've accepted all of the doctrines of demons. Think about this for a moment. Some of you, when you've you've thought about the end of the age and you think about what's the church doing, you immediately go to China. We're underground, we're hiding, we're just doing our Bible studies. No, no, no. There will be massive mega churches that are professing Jesus, that are singing good worship songs, that have all the feels in their altar moments, but they're believing and proclaiming a lie and they're twisting scripture. And because they're tickling everybody's ears, they have mass followings. You're talking like, like imagine 20,000 members of a church and they're all following doctrines of demons. How are you gonna stand when your family and friends go to that church and they start giving you just enough Bible to show, yeah, well, maybe they could be right. It's so important that we get our Bibles, guys. We gotta know the word. We gotta know the word and we gotta stand strong because deception is getting ready to hit the earth in such an insane way and it's, and it's already happening now. Can you refute the guy with five letters by his name? got an MDiv, he's got a PhD from a prestigious university, and he's going to tell you why uh, we should be ordaining anybody on the LGBTQ spectrum. Can you stand against that? Because that's what's happening right now, but it's only going to get worse, I promise. What about when they start telling you stuff like Jesus is not the only way? Well, Jesus is the preferred way, but there are other avenues. When, what about when they start telling you and they use verses like, for Christ died once for all the sins of mankind and they go, well, see, so everybody's really saved because you know, there's, you know, Jesus, he died for everybody's sins, not just the elect's sins. Can you, can you refute that? Because that's what's coming, guys. And the persecution that is gonna hit us when our brothers and sisters start turning against us. That is, gonna, that is gonna screw up some Christians, amen? So we don't wanna do that. So what's the antidote? Read your Bible. Read it a lot. Don't stop reading it. Cling to your Bible, embrace suffering, have encounters with God, and you should be okay. You start removing one of those, you're gonna be screwed. Just telling you. I can say that, right? Because I'm, I'm in young adult ministry. I can say screwed. <laughs> Can't say that on Sunday morning. Um, I wanna get out of here, so I'm gonna skip suffering through obedience, but I'm just gonna tell you, Suffer. Okay, obedience. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to skip the last one. Take, okay, this is the other one. Suffer through obedience. That's the fourth. So if you're paying attention, it's suffer in our striving against sin. It's suffering as a servant. And then it is suffer through persecution. Now we're at suffer through obedience. God is going to ask you to do some things. He's going to require some things of you. And I will just tell you most of the time, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. David said, I will not give the Lord nothing that hasn't cost me something. I will give the Lord nothing, whatever. I will not give the Lord. I will give the Lord nothing that doesn't cost me something. And here's, uh, the Lord began to speak to me many years ago. I don't have Bible for this, but I think it's a really cool principle. Um, There's so many of us who we, we really don't value Jesus, but the reason we don't value Jesus is because we actually haven't paid a cost and we always derive value from the cost paid for the item, right? Value is determined by what you're willing to pay. That's how it works. And if we don't pay something for Jesus, if it doesn't cost us something, we may be fine when there's no shakings happening, but when shakings start to happen, we don't really value Jesus. We haven't really invested a whole lot into this. And so what God will do to help us combat that moment is he will go ahead and start requiring some things of us that are even beyond striving against sin. he will perhaps require you to quit the job. Come be a prayer room missionary. Quit the prayer room. There's a million things that could be that might cost you, that might hurt and I'm always reminded, it's such a cliche verse to throw out there, but I'm always reminded of Abraham and Isaac. Can you imagine Abraham? He finally has the child of promise. He's flipping old. He's in his like 90s. He's finally got the child of promise. It's amazing. God's getting ready to make a whole nation out of him. And then the child by which the entire nation is getting ready to be birthed from, the whole thing that Abraham said is entire life up for, God says, go kill it, destroy it now. Forget the fact that it's your first, you know, forget the fact that it's your son. Forget the fact that you love him. All of the promises of God over his life were wrapped up in Isaac. You don't have Isaac, you don't have Israel. You don't have Israel, you don't have the nation of Israel and the land of Israel. And if you don't have that, then Abraham doesn't get any of the promises that he based his whole life on. And I just love that concept. He's like, it's almost like God was going, hey, you can't inherit the land until you've given up something of value. You won't be prepared for it. And so Abraham, go and take your son. Sacrifice him. Now, we did like a couple of years ago, a whole series in Genesis, and I talked a lot about that. If y'all remember, it was a good, go back and listen to it. But the point of this is, man, listen, obedience sometimes costs you. Not always. Sometimes it's just easy and great and light and enjoyable, and God, it's awesome. But a lot of times, obedience hurts and if we are gonna be the Christians that we're called to be and we're gonna stand in the age that is coming on this earth, whether it's the end times or the beginning of birth pangs, if we're gonna stand when things are hard, we have got to learn how to, to, to be obedient at any cost. Does that make sense? Okay. And then I'll, I'll end with the last one. Um, so we suffer in our striving against sin. We suffer as a servant. We suffer through persecution. Uh, we suffer through obedience and then we suffer through the consequences. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's honestly the most practical of this whole message. Galatians 6 says this Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will reap. And some of you guys have no idea where I'm going. You're like, What do you mean you suffer through consequences? Jesus died to take your punishment but he did not die to take the consequences of your sin. The judgment has been paid. The wrath has been um, appeased, right? You are no longer punished for your sin. That's great news. But God, that does not mean that you are shielded from the consequences of your sin. And what God says here in the New Testament is that he will not be mocked. And if you sow bad seed, you will reap a bad harvest for what a man sows, he will reap. Likewise, if you sow good seed, you'll reap a good harvest. And this, I, I, I do, I love talking about this, guys, because I'm just, this never gets old. You just take this with you the rest of your life, please. What will happen so often is as Christians, we ignore this verse and we sow really, really bad seed. Whether that's through sin, whether that's through relationships, whether that's whatever. We sow really bad seed and we start to reap a really bad harvest. And then we, being good, noble Christians, turn away and we run to Jesus and go, Lord, help me. No, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't like this. I don't want to be found out. Whatever it is, we'll turn back to Jesus and we're like, hide us from the consequences of our sin. And he loves us. And so here's what he'll do. He'll turn us around. He'll walk us over to the bad seed, the bad harvest. He'll sit us down. He'll go, eat that. Lord, I don't want to eat that. I don't care. Eat it. You're about to be trained by it. I will not be mocked what a man sows he will reap now that's that's good freaking preaching i'm telling you but get this this is where it gets really practical that moment is where most christians bail they reap really bad seed things go really poorly in their life god doesn't deliver them and they go nope it's too much too, too much pain i'm out i didn't sign up for this obviously you're not real cuz you didn't send breakthrough Okay, hey, now listen. As Christians, we are called to embrace our suffering through the consequences. Everybody, this verse applies to everybody the Christian, the non Christian. What a man sows, he will reap. The thing that distinguishes the Christian from the non Christian is the way in which we suffer through the consequences of our sin. Do we sit down, pull up a table, and go, this is really bad fruit? but I'm gonna eat, I'm just gonna eat it. I'm gonna take responsibility for it. I'm gonna own it. I am not gonna make excuses for it. I'm gonna repent for it. I hate it, but I've gotta eat this bad fruit. And here's the thing, you gotta eat it. But once you eat it, you get to start sowing some good seed. See what I'm talking about? And then you get to reap the bountiful harvest that is super enjoyable. But so many Christians, this is what we do, man. I've seen it so often. We sow really bad seed. I'm sowing, I'm sowing, I'm sowing. I'm sowing oh, I'm really convicted about sowing this really bad seed. I'm going to start sowing some good seed. I'm not going to throw that bad seed out anymore And so they start throwing some really good seed. What's the first one to harvest? The good seed or the bad seed? The bad. And so the bad pops up and they go, wait a second, I'm sowing really good seed. What happened? This is ridiculous. I don't even know why I'm bothering doing this really good thing because I'm only having bad things happen from it. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it happen in your life? In that moment, it's crucial, we continue to sow good seed, we turn around and we go, I'm gonna take ownership for that. This is my mess and I will clean it up. That's what David did. King David sowed really bad seed. Remember Bathsheba? Yeah, not good. Okay? Murdered a man, raped a woman, it was terrible. However, when he was found out, it is so telling about who the heart of David is. He immediately repents, comes crashing down. He doesn't look at Bathsheba and say, Well, she shouldn't have been on the roof tempting me. She was outside my window naked. It's her fault. I'm only a man. He didn't make a single excuse. He broke and he goes and he writes Psalms 51 which is the most intense psalm I think there is because he starts to confess his sin because, Lord, I've sinned against you. I sowed this bad seed. It was my fault. And I am reliant only upon your mercy. And I throw myself at you. Here's the deal. You're gonna sow bad seed. Mm, You're young adults, so you're probably gonna sow a lot of bad seed. You'll really get it when you're in your 30s eating that bad fruit. that's okay. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to be weak. It's okay. I don't want you to be. It's going to suck for you when you have to eat the bad fruit, but what measures, the measure of a Christian is how do you deal with your own sin? Do you run and bail, or do you take the consequences like a man or a godly woman, man up, whatever? You know what I'm talking about. That's what we do. So when we're found out, when Things don't go our way because we've been sowing really bad seed. When relationships start to happen and they're bad, and and we're sowing really bad seed, and so the relationship starts to go really far south, you own it. You man up, woman up. I keep saying man up. I shouldn't say man up. Not in this day. You you grow up. There we go. And you go. Listen, I really messed up. I should not have said the things that I said. I shouldn't have done the things I've done, and I shouldn't have treated you the way I treated you. I'm so sorry. There was no excuse. That's what we do as Christians. Amen? We don't make excuses. All right, stand up. I don't do altar calls. (laughs) Worship team's like, oh, I'm so glad. I don't do altar calls. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going home. Because it's 10 o'clock at night. I told my wife to wait up for me. We'd watch a movie. It's super sweet until you see her passed out on the couch drooling like this. (laughs) Because that's probably what she'll be doing. So Lord, I ask that you would help us to embrace suffering. I really do, God. I'm I'm asking God for grace. I'm asking God for the grace to strive against our sin. I'm asking for grace to serve our brothers and our sisters, to go low, to serve the dream and the vision of God in them. I'm asking God that you would prepare us to endure and to suffer through persecution and to do so joyfully, but to do so with great strength, that when persecution would arise from within the church, we would have the theological depth and the relational depth with you not to be moved. I'm asking God that you would help us pay the appropriate cost of obedience. Lord, we do want the heart like David that says, Lord, we, we, we will give you nothing unless it costs us something. And so we welcome you. We welcome you to cause us to give up things that we welcome you to, to ask us to be obedient even to the point of death. We welcome it. In Jesus perhaps for those in the room who they've spent a long time sowing really bad seed and they're starting to see the bad harvest germinate and crop up and they're getting fearful and they don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to mend it. God, I'm asking for grace to suffer through consequences. That we wouldn't shy away from it, but that we would embrace our consequences. That we would not make excuses but that we would take responsibility and ownership of the sin which we did, of the bad seed in which we sowed, and give us grace, God, to sow good seed, because you promised that you would not be mocked in what a man sows, he will reap. We love you, and we invite suffering into our life, Jesus, at whatever measure you would give it, because we know that suffering produces intimacy. And Jesus, more than we want anything else, more than we want a single reward in heaven, although we want that, we want you. And if that requires us to fellowship in your sufferings, God, so be it, we welcome it. We love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next message.